Hello, everyone, and welcome to the pilot episode of Cold Case Retrace. I'm Brandy, and with me, of course, is Kayla. We are so excited to finally be here with all of you sharing our first cold case. For those of you that don't already know us, here's a brief background on who we are. In addition to being friends and colleagues, we both have extensive backgrounds, experience, and training in the field of forensics. We have dual master's degrees in forensic nursing and criminal justice, and we decided that we wanted to take our passion for true crime to a higher level, to be a resource for families and law enforcement by shedding new light on cold cases. Our goals are to share the hard work of law enforcement bring perpetrators to justice, and to give answers and closure to families. So, without further ado, our pilot episode is one that comes from right here in the Queen City of Cincinnati. Here is the story of Papa Joe. On January 5th, 2016, at approximately 1.50 p.m., officers from the North College Hill Police Department were dispatched to Leach Brothers Automotive for a person who had been shot during a suspected robbery. The victim and business owner, Larry Leach, also known as Papa Joe, was a white male, 5'11", 285 pounds, with red hair and brown eyes. Police are reporting that upon arrival, Joe was lying on the floor in the garage area of the automotive shop, bleeding from a single gunshot wound to the back. Joe was still conscious and stated that the assailant, armed with a firearm, came in and demanded money. It is unclear as to what Joe did upon immediately seeing the armed man. Joe's family is wondering if he turned his back to retrieve his own firearm that was stored under the front counter, which was across the room from where the shooting happened. Side note, Joe had spoken with one of his daughters earlier that day and said that he had placed his gun under the front counter because the weight of the gun was making his pants that he was wearing fall down. However, the police and local news outlets reported that Joe turned his back to seek help from one of the mechanics in the garage area, which kind of makes sense given where his body was found lying on the floor when the EMS and law enforcement arrived. And we do know that he turned his back away from the gunman because he was shot in the back. Carlos, one of the shop's mechanics, dialed 911 and can be heard on recording asking for help because, because there had been a shooting. Carlos reports that he didn't see the shooter. He had been working under the hood of a truck in the garage area when he heard Joe yell, help me. Now, let us pause here for a minute to help create a mental model of the layout of Leach Brothers Automotive. It is a brick and mortar building that sits on a corner lot, West Galbraith and Simpson Road in North College Hill. There is a partial glass front where the front office is located and then three garage bay doors where the mechanics work. Later in the call, you can hear Joe identifying the assailant as a black male wearing a red hoodie. This is later confirmed by surveillance video from a neighboring business. 
When asked if anything was taken, Joe responded that his personal gun and money were taken. It was later discovered, though, that money and Joe's personal cell phone were taken, not his gun. Family is thinking at this point, Joe was maybe in shock and could have been confused. When we asked the family where Joe's gun is now, they said they believe North College Hill police still have it. The family sent us audio from the 911 call, which we're going to share with you now. Please note, this audio may be sensitive to some listeners, so you may want to lower your volume for the next four minutes. 911 emergency dispatcher Rose. We got him. 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 Transfer 1949 West Galbraith Road, North College Hill, sir. Go ahead. Yeah, we got a man who's been shot at this business, Leach Brothers. He's been shot and been robbed. One nine four nine West Galbraith Road in North College Hill. Is that is there an apartment number? No, it's a business, Leach Brothers. What's it called? I mean, Leach Brothers. That's okay. a garage. Okay. Where was he shot? He was shot in the back. Okay. Did it happen there? That's not it. Yes, that's happened. Okay. What's your name? Carlos. What's your phone number you're calling from? Uh, shit, I don't know the phone number. This is oh three four one nine two one two. I'm a mechanic here. Okay, stay on the phone with me. Does he need medical instructions to use until they arrive? Yeah. Does he need medical instructions? Do you want me to tell yes, you to do yes, it? Yes, okay, yes, is he yes, right, away, right away. Is he conscious? Okay. I want you to have him lie down. Tell him not we to lie down. Okay, tell him not to move. Is he bleeding? Yes, he's bleeding. Yes. Okay, take a clean cloth and apply pressure directly over the wound. Don't remove the cloth. Okay. If it becomes blood soaked, okay. add more to it, okay? Thank you. Do you have suspect information? Did Who did this? No, no I don't. I was in the garage. You were in the garage? Hey, Bill! Huh? You were in the garage? You didn't I... see who did it? Uh-uh, no, I didn't. Okay. Please hurry up, please. We've, we've got them dispatched, okay? 1949 West Galbraith Road. You don't know if it was one person, if they left in a car, on foot? I don't know. I don't know. I was just in the garage, and he said, yeah, he was shot. He was shot. Okay. Can, he, can, he, can I talk to him? No. Yeah. Here you go. Help me, please. Okay, we've got we've got the ambulance coming. Do you know who did this? No, it was a hoodie, black man with a red hoodie. Male black with a red hoodie. Do you know if he left on yeah. foot? I don't know. Okay, do you know? Uh, how long ago did he leave? Five minutes early, please. Okay, we we do have him coming. I'm dying, okay. I'm dying here. Okay. Do you, does somebody have pressure on your wound where you're bleeding from? No, no. Can you get somebody to get a clean cloth and put pressure on it? No, I don't want you here now. Okay. Did, did he take anything? He took my gun and he took your money. He took your gun and money? Did he come in with a gun as yeah. well? Yeah. 
Was it a handgun? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. I'm going to let them take over, okay? Okay. Good luck. Joe was then transported via ambulance to University Hospital in Cincinnati, where surgeons worked tirelessly to repair his injuries. The surgical team struggled with many contributing factors. When a bullet enters the body, it ricochets, damaging internal structures and organs. Joe had a pre-existing heart condition and had survived what's known as the Widowmaker heart attack a few years prior. So, surgeons would go in each time and operate until his heart couldn't handle any more, pausing the surgery. It was during this time that the surgeons discovered Joe's intestines were reversed from that of normal gastrointestinal anatomy, making it that much more difficult to repair the injuries. Despite their efforts, Joe succumbed to his injuries three days later, on January 8, 2016. He was 64 years old. Joe's cell phone has never been recovered, and police claim at this time they couldn't ping the cell phone because Joe's carrier was Cricket Wireless. Something about Cricket not being one of the bigger national carriers, which sounded frustrating to us, so we did some digging on our own. According to an article published by Forensic Focus in 2017, there are only five cellular companies who provide service in the United States. They are Verizon Wireless, AT&T, Sprint, T-Mobile, and U.S. Cellular. All of the others that you see commercials for on TV, Cricket, Boost, Virgin Wireless, Jitterbug, Straight Talk, TrackPhone, Family Mobile, and so on, lease their services from one or more of the five carriers mentioned before. From an investigative standpoint, it makes it simpler that we only have five potential sources where data could be kept. It is also important to note that Joe was known to always have two separate wads of cash on his person. Family told us that when he made it to the hospital, Joe still had $1,900 in cash on him. So it is assumed that the assailant unknowingly took the smaller wad of cash in the alleged robbery, resulting in a gain of less than $10. It wasn't until a year later that things started to get very interesting. In 2017, the murder weapon was recovered. A source shares that law enforcement recovered the gun during a search warrant in Cincinnati's Northside neighborhood, which is approximately six miles from Leach Brothers Automotive. The search warrant was executed against the homeowner, who we'll call Thomas. Thomas was being investigated for and charged with aggravated drug trafficking and other drug-related offenses. Thomas claimed that he found the gun in the backyard of a house and said that it had been partially buried in the ground. When police further questioned Thomas about the gun, it's reported that he stopped talking and lawyered up. The gun was in terrible shape, requiring almost four days of cleanup to get it operable. In addition, the serial number had been filed off. 
The gun was sent to ATF to be reconstructed, and through ballistic testing and examination of shell casings, the ATF was able to successfully determine that this was, in fact, the murder weapon used to kill Joe. So, although the police have the murder weapon, they told the Leach family that they have no way to tie Thomas to the actual murder because, quote, guns change hands so often in this community, unquote. While conducting our research and writing this episode, we learned that the ATF needs two weeks to perform routine gun tracing. According to a story reported by NBC Nightly News with Lester Holt last month, federal agents can run scans on things such as license plates and fingerprints to instantly find out who they belong to. But when it comes to guns, they're essentially handcuffed by a 1986 law that keeps the ATF stuck in the past. The nearly 40-year-old regulations prevent the agency from keeping searchable, digitized gun transaction records. Boxes upon boxes of paper records fill nearly every corridor of the ATF's tracing facility located in Martinsburg, West Virginia. The space is so cluttered that the agency brought in 40 cargo shipping containers, which sit outside the building, each filled with up to 2,000 boxes. Today, in 2022, it takes 12 to 14 days for the ATF to perform a routine trace on a gun used in a shooting, robbery, or other crime. And according to the U.S. Department of Justice, 83% of urgent requests are completed within 48 hours. Now back to Thomas, because he's still on our radar. Another source reports that Thomas worked for a company rumored to be involved with drug trafficking. Remember, this was one of the same charges Thomas was arrested for and charged with. This same source also shares that one of Joe's own disgruntled employees left Leach Brothers Automotive to work for this same company. In fact, there were a handful of employees that were shared at one point or another between Leach Brothers Automotive and this company that Thomas had also worked for. But not everyone is convinced that this was a robbery gone wrong, though. One of Joe's daughters believes that this could have been the result of an altercation that Joe had had with a disgruntled customer on January 4th, the day before the shooting. Kristen, Joe's daughter, tells us that on January 4th, her father came home from work visibly distraught, saying that he needed to calm down because he felt like he was going to have another heart attack. Remember, Joe had suffered a massive heart attack years earlier. Joe sat down on the couch and told his family that he had had an altercation with a customer that day and said that things got so heated he thought about retrieving his gun. Kristen doesn't recall many of the details regarding the incident, just that her father was so upset and physically shaking. The following morning on January 5th, Joe, still visibly shaken, was getting ready for work. Kristen approached her father and said, Dad, why don't you just play hooky today and stay home with us? Joe replied, I've got bills to pay, babe. 
But Kristen didn't stop there, saying, what good are you going to be to anyone if you come home dead? It was then that Joe walked over to his granddaughter, who was asleep in Kristen's lap, kissed her on the side of her head, and while patting her said, I do it for you guys. Someone has to put a roof over your heads. Everything I do is for my family. It was then that Joe walked out of the room, down the steps, and went to work for the last time. When she shared this with us, we literally stared at each other with our jaws on the floor. I mean, you hear about these kinds of premonitions, so to speak, but we're not aware of them in real time. We will not mention this customer's name or vehicle description as this person has not been charged with any crime. And police did interview other potential witnesses and suspects and cleared all of them of any involvement with Joe's murder. Of course, we have so many of our own questions that we would love to speak to law enforcement about regarding this case. We made multiple attempts to connect with police and several weeks later, we were finally told that no one could comment on this case because it's still an active investigation. We do know that the original detective working Joe's case has since retired and that he was on medical leave for up to a year prior to his retirement. What we want to know today is who's working Joe's case now? What progress has been made? Are there any leads for new suspects and or witnesses? Are they pressing Thomas at all for more information regarding the gun found in his house? You know, the actual murder weapon? The family made multiple requests for the case to be transferred to the sheriff's office for further investigation and access to more resources, but it never was. Why? We know of other cases where serial numbers have been scratched from guns and crime labs have been able to recover the number. Why couldn't this be done with Joe's case? Could they have pinged Thomas's cell phone to see whether he was near Leach Brothers Automotive on January 5th, 2016? And would they be willing today to share the case and evidence with the Bureau of Criminal Investigation, BCI? Now let's circle back to the layout of this shop because the family has some questions of their own regarding how the events unfolded on January 5th. As Kayla mentioned previously, part of the shop had a glass front where the desk and counter were located. The other half of the shop consisted of the three garage bays. Upon entering the front door of the shop, you were greeted with a long counter that had a desk to the right and then the door to the garage bays was to the left of the counter. Joe had placed his personal firearm underneath the counter that separated the desk where he worked and the door to the garage bays. This means that when the assailant entered the front door of the shop with gun in hand, Joe had to walk right past the very counter where his personal gun was kept to get to the door where his mechanic was working in the garage to yell for help. The family thinks that this is very unusual considering someone entered Joe's place of business, pulled a gun on him, and Joe didn't think to grab his own weapon to defend himself. Now keep in mind, all of this transpired in less than 50 seconds. So it's not like Joe had time to talk to the assailant, realize he was a threat, 
and then decided to head for the garage to alert his mechanic, Carlos, versus defending himself. Now, the family sent us a hand-drawn image of the shop's interior, and we will share that with you on our social media. Like most cold cases, there is usually more than one theory behind them, and Joe's case is no exception. When we review the information that we have, we know the following. Joe went to work on January 5th, 2016, and he was shot in the back shortly after lunch. There's surveillance video from a neighboring business of a black man wearing a red hoodie, the same description Joe gave to the 911 dispatcher. Money was taken. A drug trafficker, black male, who worked for a competing business was arrested on a drug-related charge, and the murder weapon used to kill Joe was found in his home, a home which, is, which was about six miles from the scene of the crime. And Joe worked in an industry that wasn't immune to disgruntled customer experiences. So what do you think? Was this a random robbery attempt? A targeted robbery? Was this a result of an angry customer? Possibly a murder for hire? When we sat down with the Leach family, we expected to learn more about Joe and what happened to him that day. What we didn't expect to see was Joe shining through each, each one of them as much as we did. Every single time we asked a question about Joe, without thinking about it, his family would automatically smile and we could just feel the pride in their voices. Some of their fondest memories come from the racetrack, the drag racetrack that is. Joe ran the IHRA circuit for years and was one of the original racers in the top dragster class. It was here on the racetrack where the name Papa Joe originated, a nickname given to him by his racing family. Joe would make a cocktail for his friends, and he called it Papa Joe's Amish Lemonade. The kids at the racetrack also called him Papa Joe. They all knew Papa Joe would have popsicle money for all of them. He loved spoiling the kids. When we asked his daughter Carla what she wanted us to know about her dad, she smiled and she said that she, she's answered this question so many times, and each time she shared that her father was larger than life. When she thinks about her father's life as a book, she feels as though the last chapter has been ripped out. Spending time with this family really made us wish that we could have met Joe ourselves. You can see photos of Papa Joe on our Instagram and Facebook pages. Just search for Cold Case Retrace if you're not already following us. There is currently a $7,500 reward for information leading to an arrest and conviction of Joe's killer. The family had been working on a fundraiser to raise more reward money. However, the pandemic put these efforts on hold. Now, they do plan to move forward with this fundraising event that they're calling Nitro in the Natty. And the Leach family hopes that this podcast episode will help stir up public interest again. And you can bet we will share more information about this event when the details are available. If you or someone you know has information regarding the cold case of Larry Joe Leach, please call the Ohio Attorney General's Office, Bureau of Criminal Investigation, BCI, at 855-BCI-OHIO. That's 855-224-6446 and reference case number 2026 
or Crime Stoppers at 513-352-3040 or North College Hill Police Department at 513-521-7171. Cold Case Retrace is written and produced by Brandi Morris and Kayla Buckley.